Dognitive therapy contains material which may be distressing to some listeners, such as domestic violence, animal cruelty and mental health issues. A Podcast One production. In Australia, this year, over 100,000 people were recorded as being homeless. 44,000 of those people are under 25. Those were numbers that partners Kate and Beck found hard to swallow. So they started an organisation called Street, aimed to tackle the growing problem of youth homelessness and give young people a second chance. What they didn't know at the time was that eventually their 10-year-old son, Will, would start his own social enterprise to help fund the training of their therapy dog, Magic. And how did this all come about? Can you tell me about the story and the background as to where Magic got involved in this? Sure. I got chickenpox earlier this year and spent a week at home with Mama. Yeah, and then what happened? Then we thought about all the things that were broken in the world and we thought how to fix them. Yeah, stuff like that. And what sort of things did you think were broken? Like homelessness, pollution, stuff like that. He decided his social enterprise would be a greeting card company. The cards have pictures of animals on them that he's drawn himself and of course the cards come complete with animal-related puns. Hugs and kisses. You are Pawsome. Santa Paws. And my personal favourite, Happy Collie Days. He even set up his own Instagram account where you can view his cards and support Magic the Therapy Dog. It's called Willful Kindness. Will's parents, Kate and Beck, filled me in on the purpose of Street and what the aim of it is. We were just really upset with the number of young people in our country that were homeless. Um, I left a job in science with the CSIRO and Kate is a clinical psychologist and we kind of combined our kind of brain cells, I guess, and passion and and decided to try and give um, homeless young people in Melbourne opportunities getting them job ready, getting some skills that are really transferable. Um, And for lots of young people who have been excluded for a really long time, getting your confidence up to come back into a workplace or maybe for the first time being in a workplace is really important. But having magic at the, you know, as the kind of big carrot that's waiting at street for you every morning um, for lots of young people is the reason to get out of bed and, and try and get, you know, get some confidence to come along. Magic the Therapy Dog doesn't just help young people to get out of bed. According to Will, magic helps them through the difficult times as well. They help you learn empathy and kindness and they make your head calmer. Well, they can. Do do you think magic helps make your head calmer? (laughs) A little. Like, if I'm in a tough situation at school, I just like to, for a couple of minutes, just go outside and hang out with Madge. And what do, what's magic done for you when you've had when you've had a rough day? Well, she just loves to play, so she just played with me, and it just seemed to help. And how do you feel about magic? Could you describe how you feel about it? I think I'm one of the luckiest kids in the world because because I have her. Why is your dog called Magic? Well, at the time I really loved Harry Potter, and magic is like black and white you know, magic colours, so we, why not call her magic? And do you think she has magical powers? 
if of kindness, then yes. My name's Laura V, and welcome to Dognitive Therapy, a series that explores how human behaviour shapes dogs' behaviour. Today's episode is on giving back. We so often take from our dogs and ask what they're giving us, but how often do we stop and think about what we can do for them? I spoke with Kevin Newman at Second Chance Animal Rescue, who talked about keeping dogs out of pounds and into loving homes and what we can all do to give back. Tell us about Second Chance Animal Rescue. So Second Chance Animal Rescue was founded, I think it was back in 2008, um, by Marissa. So Marissa DiBattista, she's a vet nurse by trade um, and working in a lot of vet clinics, she sort of saw how many people were having to send their dogs to pounds or shelters and how many animals that were going through these systems potentially to be euthanized because, you know, there wasn't, um, enough homes for them or there wasn't people who wanted them or people were just surrendering their animals because they wanted to have them put to sleep without even looking at rehoming them. Um, so she thought, well, what can I do? You know, how can I actually um, look at t- tackling a little bit of this issue that we have and, and this problem? So she created Second Chance Animal Rescue um, we're a, a mostly foster-based, so m- majority of our animals are in foster care. Um, but back, I think it's now three years, we created the um, shelter that we have now in Campbellfield. So we actually have a physical shelter. Um, it's only small. We can only fit about 10 dogs. And depending on how many cats we have, we have a few cat rooms. So a lot of them live communally. Um So realistically, we are dealing with a lot of animals that are in foster care, so we can't do a lot of what we do without those people. Um, And we're up to sort of more than 8,000 animals that have been rehomed in the last 10 years through Second Chance. Tell me about how this pet outreach program began. So sort of within the last couple of years, um, Marissa, you know, we've been treading water realistically mm. you know the, the problem is huge in victoria there's animals in pounds across victoria across australia even um and not enough homes for them or people that are realizing that they're there you know and so and people are having to give up their pets because of whatever reason financial you know obviously the, the strain financially is getting more and more difficult as years go on so over the last couple of years we sort of thought well what can we do how can we actually start to tackle this issue and how can we look at how many uh, you know how many animals are going into a pound and how do we put ourselves out of business because realistically working in animal welfare or animal rescue you don't want to have to do it you know you don't want to be there you you want people to be keeping their animals in their home and you don't want animals getting lost or stray or going into pound systems so we created a pet outreach program um, with the support of the Hume Council at the time to just be able to solve that problem of, you know, how can we keep a pet in the home? So, you know, someone might have to come to might come to us and they're saying, look, I'm going to have to surrender this animal because I can't afford to have it desexed and it keeps having litters or, you know, the neighbour's cat keeps breaking in and impregnating my cat, which happens, mm-hmm. um, you know. So we would say, okay, look, we'll desex the pet for you. That way you can keep them. Um, we get a lot of people who just simply can't afford the cost of maybe feeding their animal that month because they've had bills or something like that, medical expenses. So they come to us, you know, I'm going to have to give my animal up because I can't afford to feed them. 
well, oftentimes people will feed their animal before they can even feed themselves. So mm -hmm. if we can help alleviate some of that, we get sponsors, we have donations, so we help them out with food. Um, it's a program that tries to sort of help solve the problem of, you know, not having to surrender that pet in the end because you can actually, you know, keep them because we know how much people value their pets and how good pets are for us mm -hmm. and also how it's good for an animal to be in a home that's loving because it's not like these people don't love their pets as much as someone who can afford everything. You know, they absolutely adore their pets. Often they're their whole life. So it's the whole thing of, you know, how can we ensure that these people aren't having to actually give these up? Can you tell us about the reality of the situation of dogs in pounds in Australia? Yeah, so before I worked at Second Chance, I worked at a large pound. You know, I I have been in the animal welfare industry for seven years now. And you're still doing it. You're <laughs> I'm amazing. still doing it. Um, and so... I have seen sort of every side, you know, I worked a lot with a lot of close with the rescue groups and that kind of thing. Someone asked me at one point, like, what are the dogs that you're seeing in Australian pounds? You know, what are we actually seeing here? And at that time of all the dogs that we had there, I think 70% or to 80% were staffies or staffy crosses. Why is that? Um, you know, you would know being a staffy owner <laughs> that um, a lot of times you have staffies with higher anxiety levels because something changes in their environment and suddenly they're out on the street. Uh, you also have a lot of people who think their staffy is the best staffy in the absolutely in the world, so therefore their staffy has to breed. They don't want to cut their testicles off because they're too masculine, mm. um, and you end up with all of these puppies who just can't find homes. Um, so you know, we get a lot of staffies or staffy crosses, even at, at Second Chance where we have, you know, a lot of animals that are coming in either um, surrendered to us or we're picking up from council pounds. We are often getting a lot of staffies and staffy crosses still. The other one is obviously working dogs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your Kelpies, your Border Collie crosses, that kind of stuff, because people have them in a home environment, in a um, suburban environment, and they're not suburban dogs unless you do what I do. I have a border collie. I train her every week. You know, I've spent so much time working on her mental stimulation to make sure that she's not bored that you can't just have a, a border collie in your backyard and expect that they're going to be happy. They're going to be climbing the walls. They're going to be jumping. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to be running around. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realise. You know, they don't look at, you know, what kind of dog am I getting and is it actually suitable to my lifestyle? So there are a lot of dogs that are coming into pounds and never coming back out. And, you know, that's the reality of it in Australia. Do you think people are more driven to the look of a dog than the temperament of a dog? Absolutely. Like, that's 100%. You know, you get... Um, having worked as someone... Uh, I worked in communications when I first started at the Lost Dogs Home and I worked doing social media and Facebook and that kind of stuff, you know, you see the people who you post a good looking dog and mm. it gets thousands of shares, it gets thousands of comments and likes and people wanting to come and adopt it. You get 300 people applying to adopt that dog. But the dog next to it who might not have as fortunate a look is completely overlooked. Um, you know, it's the same people just think, oh, I want this dog because it's gorgeous or because, you know, I want a husky because they're so beautiful. I want to, um, <laughs> and they're so don't headstrong. Get, don't get a husky, guys. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Like I've worked as a, a dog trainer and, and run an obedience club and every husky that I've ever met has been its own um, <laughs> personality, you know, yeah. it's, its own thing. I, you can't 
train them, they do what they want to do. So, yeah, you definitely get people who come in going, I want this particular dog because of the way it looks. They don't know anything about its personality, anything about its behaviour. And I think that's one of the important things nowadays for people who are working in um, animal welfare, who are adopting out, is to be like, look, sit down with someone and talk to them about what kind of dog would suit your lifestyle, what kind of animal would suit your lifestyle. So that way you're actually matching the person with the pet and you're more likely to end up with a dog that stays in a home for a long period of time rather than coming back to a shelter and continuing that cycle. Mm. With the pet outreach program, obviously your motivation is to keep dogs in homes rather than people surrendering them and ending up in shelters. And I can imagine that one of the best ways to keep dogs at home is to help people develop a connection and a bond with their dog. What are some of the ways that you think people can do that better? Our dogs just want to be with us a lot of the time. They just want our attention. You know, they want that bond. They want that connection. They're not trying to find a connection somewhere else because you're right there. So I think that what we do, particularly through our outreach program and through just people that adopt from us, is try and encourage them to come back to us to learn some more stuff. So do some dog training seminars, do some pet first aid seminars so that they're forming that connection and going, actually, I am capable of looking after my animal and I'm able to do these things with my animal, you know, with my dog that I wouldn't normally have thought about or wouldn't do previously. Um, for me, it was obviously training. You know, I, I take my dog out um, now to aged care facilities or um, just to encourage people to have that connection with an animal as well. And I think it's about just finding what works for you and your dog. You know, every dog is different. My dog wants to chase a ball in the backyard or she wants to do tricks or sleep. <laughs> you know, that's her three favourite things. Life. Yeah, such a bad life. <laughs> that's her three favourite things and, mm. and that's what she does, you know. But you find what works for your dog. Your dog might just want to sit on the couch with you and watch TV and that's okay. Like that's all you have to do. We encourage people to go take their dog out to training so that that way they form that bond, they form that connection, they're doing something together. But also when they take them out in the street, they're not embarrassed by their dog. You mm-hmm. know, they don't sort of go, oh, sorry, my dog's like going crazy. It's barking at everyone. Some dogs will still do that no matter how much training you put in there, but at least you feel a bit more comfortable and in control at that point. Do you feel like the people that you're helping that when they engage in your outreach program, that it actually helps to improve their confidence and sense of self-worth within themselves and as a pet owner? Yeah, absolutely. We've always found that is that the message that you get from people is, thank you so much. I would never have been able to do this without you. Mm. And, you know, this animal means the world to me. And just the change that you see in people when they suddenly realise, actually, maybe I'm going to be okay. Maybe I'm going to be able to keep my pet. I don't have to give them up because I have this support from somebody. Um, And we get that from sort of social workers as well. So people, you know, we'll get people contacting us on behalf of a client and suddenly they're like, we see the huge change in them. They are so thankful that they've been able to do this because they never would have been able to afford it or they weren't, you know, they were, they were going without so that they could provide for their pet and suddenly now they don't have to do that. Something you told me recently was one of the main reasons why people relinquish their dogs is because of cost. Yep. And I found that fascinating because I would have thought the main reason would be behaviour or they have to leave the country or a whole range of other reasons. How much does it cost to have a dog? So when you sort of think about it, you've got ongoing cost of food mm. and you want to feed yourself your dog something good. So that's 
upwards of $70 a month just for your dog. You've got vaccinations, which are, you know, yearly or every three years. You've got flea and worm treatment, which is sort of $100 a month or less, depending on what you treat them with. But then you've got training, you've got council registration. Mm-hmm. When you first get a if you get a puppy, you know, you're looking at desexing, um, microchipping, all of that kind of stuff. And the, uh, the things just add up. And then there's costs that you don't realise. You need to be prepared. What if your dog needs to go to the vet? What if something happens? Um, so that's a lot of the time, you know, you do get people coming to the shelter or to Second Chance and just saying, look, I can't afford to desex my animal. You know, they're pregnant again. Like you know, people, particularly with cats, yeah. you know, my my cat got out, it's pregnant again. Um, dogs are the same. Dogs, you know, when they're on heat, they'll do anything they can to try and get outside to get to a- another, you know, another dog. And you can end up with a lot of accidental litters and th- those costs add up as well. What do dogs give us? So much. <laughs> I mean, it's like, where do where do you even start? How long have we got here? How long have we got here? Yeah, what, how much time? And I think the whole thing is it's that unconditional love that they have for, for their humans, um, their loyalty, their trust. And, you know, they're not expecting much in return. They want somewhere safe to be. They want some attention every now and again, and they want some food. You know, they're not they're not expecting us to jump through hoops. You know, they're not expecting... We expect them to do that, though. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. But also at the same time, it's only when the dog chooses to, especially for someone like me who trains my dogs to do a lot of tricks. I'm not pressuring them to do anything. If they don't want to perform that day, they don't perform that day. Mm. They, you know, they don't have to jump through a hoop if they don't want to. I'm giving my dog the choice. And I think that's the thing is, you know, they give us so much. They they assist us with mental health. They assist us with providing us with comfort and support. And, you know, I've gone through number, a number of breakups mm. in the last six years of owning my dog, and she's always been there. She's always come up to me and put her head on my lap and made sure that I'm okay. And that's just intuition for them, you know. They don't, they don't do it because we ask them to. They just do it because they know that something's up. So I think in terms of that, you know, Dogs give us so much. They give us joy. They give us love. They give us affection. And it's up to us to just make sure that we're giving them the best life that we possibly can because they're not asking for anything else in return. I'm Laura V, and you're listening to Dognitive Therapy. If you enjoy this series, give it a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to this show for free. There are dogs that are in pounds right now who someone should have come and gotten them, you know. They know that they're there and they just chose not to and that's them letting their dog down. Or, you know, their dog got to age 14 and they just let them go onto the street because that's what they thought they needed to do. So I think there's definitely some dogs out there who are getting everything that they need and getting everything that they deserve and then there's going to be the dogs out there who are missing out right now as well. There's probably also lots of people out there that have dogs, but they just don't know how to reciprocate. They don't perhaps understand what their dog needs from them to give back to them. What are some things that we can do as dog owners to give back to them? I think it's just as simple as spending time with your dog and working out what they want from you. They're often pretty good at at showing you or telling you what they want. You know, Mm. they might come up to you and they just want to pat. They might 
come up to you, they might bring a ball. My dog is, you know, she loves chasing tennis balls. She'll bring me a ball if she wants to go and play in the backyard. And that's the thing. She Dogs are intuitive. They'll tell you what they want. You just need to be tuned into that. Um, and whether it's just, you know, they want to treat, they want to, they want to pat, they want to cuddle, they want to sleep on your bed. You know, there's all of these things that dogs will look at you and go, hey, I'm here. They're, pre- they're always present. That's the thing. They're not worrying about what happened in the past. They're not worrying about what's coming up in the future. They're there right now with you. And I think that's what, another thing that dogs do for us is they can allow us to be more present because suddenly it's like, oh, I should just follow what my dog's doing because, yeah. you know, they're in the moment. They're not worrying about money. They're not worrying about, you know, the state of the world. They're just worried about you and what's happening right now. A lot of people come up to me and say, oh, Laura, I've got a confession to make. (laughs) I let my dog sleep on the bed and I'm okay with that. What's your opinion? I... It, it's really, it's a personal opinion. It, it's it's what you want to do. I don't personally. Um, and it's because I'm six foot three. <laughs> uh, my dog's a border collie and she takes up half the bed. I have trouble enough sleeping by my, without, without my dog in the bed. <laughs> so personally, if, if she stays in my room, she'll sleep on her own bed. She has her own space. But that being said, during the day or at nighttime when I'm just lying in bed reading or on my you know phone or something like that, she's allowed on the bed. She can sit up there with me. I don't see it as a problem. I know people that have 10 dogs or, you know, they house sit and they have, or they puppy sit or dog sit. All 10 dogs are allowed to sleep on the bed. They all have their individual place on the bed, their <laughs> little location. This one sleeps by the head. This one sleeps by my feet. And some people will do that. And I don't see it as a problem. Like, you know, in if a dog was in the wild, it wouldn't be sleeping on the floor without the other dogs. Mm-hmm. It would be sleeping with its, you know, with its other dogs in, in its community or with its another person or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I think personally I don't, but it's up to the individual to decide what they want to do. You made a really good point just before about the fact that you can't be with your dog all the time. So... What can we do to give back to our dogs during the times when we can't actually be around them, even though that's what they really want? Yeah, so it's making sure that they have um, access to sort of the things that they need during that time. So, you know, have we made sure that they've got things to entertain themselves in the backyard with? Do they have food? Do they have clean water? Do they have somewhere that they can go Um you know, do we have another dog with them? You know, if if they are a dog that's quite sociable and they'd rather have another dog friend. Um, you know, it's about making sure that whilst we're away, they have everything they possibly could need. Um, you know, I'll leave bones or toys for my dog so that she has something if I'm not there. If I know that I'm not going to be home later, I'll, my, one of my housemates will be there, they'll feed her. You know, she's getting everything that she needs, mm-hmm. even though I can't always be there. There'll be lots of people listening who are dog lovers, understandably, and would love to have a dog, but perhaps can't make the commitment long term to have a dog. But there's a great opportunity for people to foster dogs. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So uh, being uh, with Second Chance Animal Rescue, being such a small actual shelter, most of our dogs are in foster care. So it's temporary accommodation. You know, they come and stay in your house for a week maybe two months, depending on what that dog needs. And 
you know, everything's provided for you. We make sure the food is supplied. We make sure you need anything that you need is supplied, medical care, all of that kind of stuff. All you need to provide is the unconditional love mm-hmm. and affection and keep them safe. You know, I think um, fostering is a great thing. I, you know, still foster even though I have my own dog. If I find a dog that she's comfortable with, we will foster them. And it's about providing that step, providing that bridge to that animal finding their new home or their second chance. Um Personally, you know, I've seen so many dogs that have come through foster, which, you know, they go into foster this scared, timid little dog who has no real personality in the pound because they're so shut down and they come back and suddenly they have all this personality and they're incredibly loving and they're quite resilient. You know, they've, they've bounced back from whatever it is they've gone through and suddenly they're ready to find a new home and they're happy and they're going to be the best that they personally can be. So I think, yeah, it's one of those great ways of going, okay, I can't commit to 20 years or 15 years with my dog, but what can I do to help other dogs who are in that situation? In America and Australia, there's lots of research that's come out around temperament testing of dogs in pounds and how the behaviour of a dog in a pound is not necessarily indicative of who they really are because they're in a fairly stressed environment. Do you think we're better off fostering out dogs wherever and whenever we can and then temperament testing them after that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to, and people used to have been saying, you know, you can't can't say that. And I'm like, well, look, (laughs) it's how would you react if you were in prison? Because that's kind of what a pound is like you know you're in a pen you get out to exercise a couple of times a day you get fed you've got inmates on either side of you and sometimes they're barking a lot you know it is kind of being put in a very high stress situation how would you be if then they were like okay we're going to go and put you through a series of tests and temperament tests Mm -hmm. to see what you're like in this situation you're already highly stressed you're going to be more highly stressed when they start putting these you know tests on you so i think in terms of um getting an animal out of the shelter and into a home environment is the best thing for them because they can you can actually see what the real temperament or what the real um behavior is going to be like we've i've seen dogs that have been so shut down in a pound that they absolutely have zero personality. They just look at you and they won't do anything. You get them into a home environment, they're a completely different dog. Mm. Um, and suddenly you're like, oh, that's what you're actually like. And then that way you can actually understand what they're going to need in future and who, who their perfect family is going to be because suddenly you've got a better idea of who they are as a dog and who they are. Um and what they need and what they like and, and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you definitely can't see the behaviour that you will actually see outside of that in, in a shelter. As a nation of self-proclaimed dog lovers, what do you think, in your opinion, is the best way for us to give back to man's best friend? I think it's just to be there for them. You know, a lot of the time, a lot of the things I find where Uh, where dogs end up in pounds or where they end up on the streets or something like that. It's just because we've let them down. You know, we haven't given them what they need. And I think that's the thing is just find out what your dog wants, find out what they need and let them live their best life. And, you know, if that's just that they want to lie on the couch for 
90% of the day, then let them. <laughs> you know, if they want to sleep in your bed at night, then let them. You know, when my dog brings the ball to me, I don't say, oh, no, we can't go play with the ball. It's like, all right, cool, you obviously want to play right now, so let's go have some time together and spend some one-on-one time. So it's about listening to your dog and understanding what your dog wants. Kevin Newman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. What do you think magic gives you? She gives me real kindness. Like, she lets me rumble with her. She lets me pat her. She lets me play with her. Yeah, and in return, I get to give her pats. Pats is like a form of dog currency. If you have a story you think would be good for Dognitive Therapy, get in touch and let us know. Just send an email to laura at dognitivetherapy.com with a one-paragraph summary. This show was written by me, Laura V, and my amazing producer, Dave Swalensky. Audio production is by Darcy Thompson. Executive producers are Jennifer Goggin and Grant Todhill. If you want to see additional content, photos and videos of some of the gorgeous dogs in this series, go to our Instagram page at podcast1au or check us out on Facebook. Dognitive Therapy is a Podcast One production recorded in the Podcast One studios, Melbourne.